I'm excited today as we kick off this Easter season, and I, it was so funny when I, I, I stumbled across that song on YouTube, and I sent it to Ben, and I said, we have to do this for Easter, and he's like, I already texted it to Alyssa two days ago, so that was awesome, so we kind of chuckled on texting, and we're like, okay, well, it must be God, we're supposed to do that for Easter um, for the Easter season, and so we're just excited about what God's going to do. We're excited about what God's going to do for you in your life. Sometimes in life, when we think about what God is doing, sometimes what we think God is going to do and what God does or what happens become two different things. Sometimes life just spirals out of control. You ever had those times in life where one thing happens and something else happens and something else happens and it just keeps happening and you wonder if it's ever going to stop, right? Is, it, is God going to put a dam up here to keep the flow because this, the, the, this thing is just hitting me and hitting me and hitting me and hitting me and something has to stop. We get to that point in Jesus' life in Luke chapter 18 where he's about three weeks out from his crucifixion. Now, I know we're two weeks out from Easter, but what we're going to read today, Jesus is three weeks out from his crucifixion. And between Luke 18 and Luke chapter 22, it's really kind of Zacchaeus, you know, the wee little man. If you, you grew up in Sunday school, the wee little man that climbs up in the sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Okay, that happened like in the last three weeks of Jesus' life. Uh, other things, other things between Luke chapter 18 and Luke 22 happened within that three-week time period. In fact, if you take all four Gospels and put them together, really, of Jesus' three years, we only have three months' worth of ministry. The four Gospels actually only represent about three months of his ministry. His ministry lasted three years. And so from Luke 18 to Luke 22, we have the last three weeks. And so Jesus sits down with his disciples, and he starts to tell them something. He starts to say, guys, this, this, is, this is something I need you to understand. I need you to get this. And so in Luke chapter 18, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn there. In Luke chapter 18, verse 31 through 34, this is where we're going to park it today. It says, Jesus took his 12 aside and told them, right? So when a leader takes his top 12 people, the leader takes his top people and he pulls them aside and he says, I got something I need to tell you. So pay attention. Listen up. He could have told all 100 and some of his followers that, it, that he could have told all 100 and some of them, but he didn't. He took the 12. He took those that were closest to him and said, guys, here's about what's, this is about ready to go down. And in Luke 18, 31, he says, Jesus took the 12 aside and told them, we are going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, spit on him, and they will flog him and kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. Like I said, this is the third time, this is the third time Jesus has told his disciples this exact same thing. 
You would think after the third time they'd get it. But John, the disciple, the one who wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, the one who wrote the book of John, the one who wrote the book of Revelation, he was a teenager. So maybe he's saying it a third time for John's sake because John was about 14 or 15 years old when he was following Jesus, right? So maybe Jesus is like, okay, I got some teenagers in here. I need to say this a third time. I don't know what the reason was, but Jesus had to tell them three times the same thing, the exact same thing. I think the reason they didn't get it is because they didn't understand the spiritual world. They only understood the physical world. The spiritual world and the physical world are oftentimes completely opposite of one another. You see, in the natural world, we want things faster, we want things easier, we want things more comfortable. But in the spiritual world, it's about patience and faith and belief. And when you accept Christ, you say, I believe in these things over these. I believe in patience over speed. I believe in love over fear. I believe in trust over doubt. But the natural world is different from the spiritual world. And so Jesus says, I've come to be king, and I've come to rule and reign. But it's not initially at first going to be the way you think it is. Now, we know that in his second coming, when he returns, he's going to set up that earthly kingdom. But initially, he's here to install his kingdom into the hearts of men and women that we may grow his kingdom so that when he returns, there are people ready to receive him. But they didn't get it. And sometimes in life, we don't get it, right? We don't always get it when our kids come home with their report card. Back in the day, you used to come home with your report card. Now you can just get online anytime, any day, and see what they got, right? Like back in the day, you had to wait like nine weeks, I can't imagine the torture my parents went through, like, oh, my gosh, what's he got, what's he got, what's he got, what's he got? Now we don't even have, we're like, we have instant grades. I can just log in and see their grade and where it stands right now. If the teacher's keeping up the system, I can see what their grades are automatically. I don't have to wait, right? And life doesn't make any sense sometimes when your kids, you know your kids are smarter than that, and you say, why didn't you turn your paper in? Oh, no, I didn't want to. It didn't make any sense to me, so I just didn't do it. And then, right, like you immediately turn into the hawk, and you rage, and your face turns green, and I don't understand. You're, all your other grades are A's and B's, and you're getting an F in this class. Why? Because it's just not worth it. It's not worth, the, it's not worth the trouble, right? Sometimes things don't make sense. Sometimes things don't make sense when your spouse comes and says, I don't love you anymore. I just really never have loved you. I just never really, and you find out they're cheating on you, and it doesn't make sense. Things don't make sense in life. I just, I just never have loved you. That's, that's baloney. You don't commit your life to somebody not loving them, right? And it doesn't make any sense, and you sit there, and you, you sit there in this dazed. I know because I sat with people in those moments, and you're just dazed. You're stu- you don't even know what to say. You don't know how to respond. You don't know what to think. You don't even know how to feel at that point. 
You don't, know, you don't know what to do. You're dazed, you're stunned, you're confused. Your boss comes to you and says, hey, we're laying people off, we're gonna have to lay you off. And you're dazed, you're stunned, you're confused, you don't know what to do because you work hard, you come in early, you stay late, you, do the, you go the extra mile. But the other dude that barely puts in 40 hours a week and causes everybody problems, he's not getting laid off. It doesn't make sense, right? Things don't make sense. Jesus is telling them, listen, things are about ready to go down in the next few weeks within a month. Things are about ready to go down, and it's not going to make sense. He's telling them what's going to happen, but it's not making sense to them. They're not getting it. They're like, what's happening? What are you talking about? Quiet. And life hits us, and we're like, I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's happening. This isn't making sense. This isn't the direction that my life was supposed to go. This isn't the way things were supposed to happen. None of this makes sense to me. And here's what I know from experience. Just because you don't understand, it doesn't lessen the impact. Just because you don't understand what's happening, it doesn't lessen the impact. I don't understand why you didn't turn your paper in doesn't lessen the impact your kids about ready to flunk. Right? I don't, I don't understand. Why, I knew we were having marital problems, but why did you have to feel like you had to go cheat on me? But it doesn't lessen the impact. I don't understand. I put in all the hours at work. I did all of that. And yet they keep that guy. I don't understand. But it doesn't lessen the impact. So what do you do when what you expected didn't turn out the way you thought? What happens in life when things go belly up, when you thought you made that payment, but you did it, and now all of a sudden you got two car payments this month instead of one that you weren't banking on? What what happens when you bought the house and all of a sudden we get the spring rain and your yard is flooded and you never thought about that and suddenly there's water in your crawl space and it's rising and you'd never anticipate it. it de- I don't understand what happened, but it doesn't lessen the impact. They didn't understand what was about to happen, but it wasn't going to change the impact of what was coming. What do you do? Well, Jesus tells him, he tells us. He says, the, the very first words that he says to them are this. We are going up to Jerusalem. Let me rephrase it. I will pull this car over if you don't cut it out back there. Let me give you a little hint. My boys have to be reminded to put their seatbelts on. What I have found is that if I gradually pick up speed and tap the brakes, they come within arm distance. Put the seatbelt on. Right? Okay, that's actually never happened. My boys are just looking at me like, what? That's never actually happened. But Jesus tells his disciples, he tells his teenager follower, John, who's about 15, he says, John, you don't understand, but we are going to Jerusalem. We are going to Jerusalem. What do you do when things don't make any sense? You 
go on. You go on. Because I can tell you this, children of God were never designed to live in hell. Designed to go through it? Yes. Designed to live there? No. You keep pushing. Because here's what happens when you go on. You're like, I don't understand this. I'm devastated. I'm an emotional wreck. I'm a mental wreck. Things don't make sense to me. But when you keep pushing and keep going on, I don't understand why he left me. I don't understand why they've laid me off. I don't understand. The doctor told me I have leukemia. I don't understand. Sometimes all you have is going on. Sometimes that's all you got. And you know what happens when you go on and you keep pushing through hell? Everybody looks at you like, oh, they're going on. They must see something I don't. You see, when you push on through your trials and you push on through your tribulations and you push on the difficult times in life and you keep going on, what you're telling other people is, I have purpose. I have destiny and I'm going to keep moving on. I don't feel like it. I don't think I really do, but I have to keep moving because if I stay here, this will kill me. It will kill me emotionally, mentally. It will kill my family. It will kill everything else. And so I have to keep pushing. I have to keep putting in applications. I have to keep honing my interview skills. I have to keep honing the skills that I have so that I can keep going on and keep pushing and keep going forward. I don't understand what's happening, but I have to keep going on so that everybody else can understand that I have a God who loves me and there's a purpose. And I don't feel like I'm loved right now, but I have a purpose. And I have to keep following destiny and keep following purpose because if I stay where I'm at, I'm going to die. You have to push. You have no other options, right? It shows purpose. And you know what it does for you personally? It begins to ingrain your purpose and your destiny. When everybody's fighting your baseball park, you keep pushing. You keep pushing, you keep going, you keep standing, and you keep pushing, and you don't understand how it's going to happen. It's going to happen. You keep pushing. You keep going. Purpose is having intention. Purpose is not understanding. Purpose is having intention. Let me say that again. Purpose is not understanding why it happened and what happened and what's going on. Purpose is having intention. I have an intention, and you're not going to stop it. In fact, the greatest people in all of history are people who had intentions who wouldn't be stopped. Think about it. This past uh, this past Thursday and Friday, I had the opportunity to chaperone my, my son's eighth grade field trip over Thursday and Friday. And uh, he goes to Liberty, and they take a field trip. They go to Springfield, Illinois, and they go and they visit the Lincoln home. They visit, um, they visit the old original, I'm sorry, not the original, the fifth Illinois State House where Lincoln uh, worked as a legislature, at the legislature, and We got this whole, we went to the Presidential Museum, the Presidential Library, and we did all of these things. And there's a man who knew intent and purpose. He knew that slavery was wrong. He said, this isn't, 
This isn't okay. In fact, Abraham Lincoln at one point said, it seems to me all of you that want slavery are not willing yourselves to put your... You're not willing to put yourselves in chains and become slaves. Why is that? Addressed his opponents that way before he was ever president. He says, why is it you won't put yourself in chains if slavery is such, such a wonderful thing and you're willing to fight and die for it? Right? A man with intent, a man with purpose, a man who knew where he was going and what he was doing. But here's what I can tell you, that when the bomb drops and you decide to keep on walking... The devil's not going to be happy because what's going to happen is you're going to inspire other people. You're not inspired yourself, and people know that. And they're like, he keeps pushing. He keeps going. He's not inspired. He doesn't feel it. He's not there mentally. He's not there emotionally. But they keep going. They keep pushing. They keep driving. And that inspires other people. And whether you feel like it or not, you're inspiring other people to go on. And the devil's going to fight. But you have to push. You have to keep pushing. You have to pray until something happens. Push. Pray until something happens, and you have to push. Look at your neighbor and say, push. Look at your other neighbor and say, pray until something happens. Okay, I didn't say push your neighbor, all right? I said you have to pray until something happens. You have to keep going and striving and pushing and going and striving and pushing. You have to keep praying. You have to keep going. And look what Jesus says in verse 32. He tells him, and here's, here's the progression of the situation. The progression of the situation Jesus says, I'm going to be mocked, insulted, spit on, flogged, and killed. Do you notice the progression? Let's just walk through it for a moment. Let's walk through it because Jesus tells his disciples this is progressively going to get worse until eventually they just kill me. He says, I'm going to be insulted. The word insult literally means to play with. Right? To play with. Tease, nitpick, play with. And Jesus tells his disciples that at first, they're going to, they're just going to play with me. They're just going to poke me and then back away and then poke me from that side. And and they're first, they're just going to play with me like one would play with a football, and they're just going to toss me around and they treat me like a basketball, right? They're just going to shoot me out of hoop and they're going to bounce me up and down, and they're going to they're gonna do all... Okay, Jesus didn't say that, but you get the idea. They're just going to play with me like a toy at first. And at first, your problem... Some of you, sometimes you can see the problem coming, and at first, somebody's just playing with you. They're just messing with you. They're just, they're just kind of whatever. Whoever your haters are, they kind of just start playing with you a little bit. Whatever the situation is, it just kind of starts to play with you. It starts to tease you. It starts to just kind of drop little ideas. Well, what if this and what if that? And this is how the devil works. He starts to say, well, a little bit of this and a little bit of that. It's okay. And did God really say? And it's, it's, just, it's just one time, and so it's not a big deal. And it plays with you. This seems to be the progression for every 
major issue in life. It plays with you. It's just, just one beer. It's just one joint. It's just one whatever. It just kind of plays. And he goes on. He says, but they're not going to stop there. They're going to mock him. They're going to play with me. Right? Mock. Play. He says, then they're going to insult. Now it's going to get real deliberate. First, they're just teasing and messing, teasing and messing. He goes, but now they've gone from teasing and messing, and they're going to get real deliberate in what they say to me. And they're not going to care about playing around anymore. They're going to start insulting me. They're going to start making fun of my character. They're going to start making fun of my ministry. They're going to start making fun of my job. They're going to start making fun of my family. They're going to start making fun of my kids. They're going to start just dissing all over me and throwing shade like nobody's business. And they're going to do that. The word insult means to speak evil of. Anybody had anybody speak evil of you? I don't mean like call you Satan or anything. But, you know, maybe somebody has. But they'll think the worst of you. Here's what I can tell you about a child of God. When your soul focuses God, you really don't care what anybody else says. What if somebody finds out that I have this addiction? A child of God doesn't care. They're like, the only person that matters is God. So if somebody finds out, somebody finds out. Why? Because you buried your pride a long time ago when you went to God for salvation and said, God, I can't save myself, I need help. You buried your pride at that moment. So I don't care if somebody finds out. I don't, it just doesn't bother me. It's not about that. Right? A child of God has put the pride away and say, hey, I've got a problem. I need help. That's what a child of God does. It's what we do. Right? And so Jesus says, they're going to play with me. They're going to begin to make fun of me. They're going to, be, they're going to begin to insult me and speak bad of me. But here's what I can tell you about hate. A little bit of hate is never enough. It has to grow. Hate is never satisfied at being at one level. Hate has to grow. If somebody doesn't like you now, unless they deal with it, I can promise you a month from now it's going to be worse. They're going to hate you worse. And a year from now, they're going to hate you even more because it festers and it grows. So what happens? Well, they go from playing with him. He says, they're going to go from playing with me, poking me and messing with me, to literally insulting my character, insulting you. They're going to drop yo mama jokes on me, right? Okay, I'm kidding. But you know what I'm saying? Jesus is like, but it's not going to stop there, he says. The hate grows. And now it's going to turn physical. Because what does he say? He goes, they're going to go from playing and insulting to spitting on. They're going to go to, it's going to turn physical, guys. The hate in them and their hate for me is going to grow. And it's going to get physical. And they're going to go from spitting on and that's not going to be enough. They're going to want to flog, scourge, beat me until I bleed. You ever you ever notice like the mob the mob scenes of like angry crowds with pitchforks and and torches and you know whatever you notice how quickly hate escalates right hate elevates quickly 
quickly, if not held in check. And so I want to challenge you, if you've, got, if you've got some stuff in your heart or in your mind towards people, you need to put it in check stat. You need to, you need to go before God, you need to take it to God in prayer, because if not, it will overrun you. It will overrun your thoughts, it will begin to overrun your emotions, it will overrun your actions, right? And so he says, now they're going to they're gonna flog me, right? It's not enough that they insulted me and tried to destroy my character verbally, and they've tried to destroy me verbally. Now they want to come at me physically. And it's at that moment when the stuff and the life really begins to hit and life really starts to get real that you wonder what's happening, what's going on. And here's what I can tell you, tell you from experience. Your feelings and your purpose will not always align. The way you feel and the purpose for your life, those two will not always align. Do you think Jesus felt like his purpose was like, yeah, I'm good, I'm going to go for this. No, he didn't. No, he didn't. In fact, in Matthew chapter 26, verse 39, he prays to his father. He says, hey, let this cup pass. Hey, dad, if you're up there, could you just like move on? Can we just move on past this? Because I'm really not feeling the whole cross thing. I'm really not feeling it. But what's his purpose? The cross. What's his feelings? Whoa, I don't want any part of that. But I'll do it. I'll take the beatings. I'll take the insults. I'll take the scourging. I'll be beat within an inch of my life and then nailed up there. I don't feel it. I don't want it. This isn't the way the marriage was supposed to go. This isn't the way the relationship was supposed to happen. This isn't what I signed up for in my job. But I know that I have a purpose in this. I know there's a plan and a calling here. But my feelings don't align. What do you do when your feelings and your purpose don't align? You go on. You go on. You push on. Because your purpose is greater than your feelings. Your destiny is greater than your feelings. Right? They are. Feelings come and go. Feelings, feelings come and go. They change. So Jesus says, let this cup pass. Job. Job, same thing. My purpose is to serve the God of heaven. Yeah, I've lost all my kids. I've lost my billions and billions and billions of dollars. I've lost that. I've lost everything. But my purpose is to serve God, and I don't feel it right now. When his own wife comes to him and says, why don't you just curse God and give up your faith? His own wife, why don't you just give up your faith? And Job says, nope, that's my purpose. I don't feel it right now. Oh, this is tough. That's my purpose. That's my destiny. And the Bible says that God restored two times everything that he had by the time he finally passed away. Right? Solomon in his depression. Solomon. God says, Solomon, your dad, David, has passed away. You are now king. What do you want to rule Israel? I give you one request, anything. And in Solomon's heart, he says, God, give me wisdom that I may know how to govern and care for your people. That was it. He didn't ask for money. He didn't ask for women. He didn't ask for more property. 
He said, I just need wisdom so I can correctly govern your people that you've blessed me with. And he builds, a, he builds God a temple, and he, he does phenomenal work until he gets his eyes off his purpose. And it begins to marry all the princesses in the surrounding country so he can make peace. And the lust of his eyes drives him. One of the seven deadly sins, the lust of his eyes drags him down to such a state of depression that when he writes the book of Ecclesiastes, he pins these words, it's meaningless. Everything under the sun is meaningless and pointless. Here's a man, the wealthiest guy in the world at that time, peace with all the nations around him, can have anything that he wants. The queen of Sheba comes to him for advice. I mean, he's got other People, other rulers coming to him for advice from other countries. Other emperors and kings and queens are coming to him for advice, and he's giving them advice, and he's helping them. And he gets his eyes off his purpose and onto everything else. And in his lowly state of depression, he says, this life is pointless. Why? Because he's taking his eyes off the prize. So Jesus tells his disciples, here's what's going to happen. But you notice what he said before he told them about the progression? He said, you know what? We're going on. We're going up to Jerusalem. By the way, we're going on. But by the way, this stuff is going to happen. So just be prepared. All of this is going to happen. Be prepared. But we're going on. His feelings did not line up with his purpose. The emotions weren't there. But he said, I have to keep going. I have to keep moving. Listen, you can run from stuff all you want. But it's not until you decide to run to Jesus that the enemy is concerned. The enemy does not care. You can run from stuff all the time. You know what happens? You know why a lot of us miss the mark in life? Because we decide, I don't want to be that, and I don't want to be that, and I'm not going to be that, and I'm not going to be that, and I'm not going to be that. And we get so concerned with what we don't want to be that we never find out what we really do want to be, and we don't run towards what we should and what we do want to be. You see, running from stuff is a lack of vision. Running to stuff is vision. And the Bible says that without vision, you perish. So you can run from stuff. I don't want to be like my mom and dad, right? I don't want to be, I don't want to be like that employee. I don't want to be like, what do you want to be like? You need to find what it is you want to be like and run towards that. Get some vision. Because as long as you're running from, you're looking back. But if you're running to, you're looking forward. And too many of us run from and not to. I just dropped a bomb. You got to run to. And here's what I can tell you. It's when you rise from your circumstance. Because Jesus said, here's the progress. Here's what's going to happen. But after they kill me, after they lay me in the ground, after they've wrapped my body, after they've put this seven-ton stone in front of a door, coming back and he tells him this is the third time he's told him i'm coming back from the grave 
I'm coming back in full power, not restrained by the human body. I'm coming back in full power because the human body will be dead and I will show up with my heavenly body, the body I have in heaven. I will show up and I will do more in the short time after my resurrection than I did in my ministry in my human body, right? And when you rise from your circumstance, regardless of whether you ever felt like going through it or not, and whether you ever understood it or not, but when you rise from your circumstance, it no longer has a hold on you, and you can march forward, and you can begin to free other people. You can begin to encourage other people. You can say, look, let me tell you what I've been through. My feelings and my purpose didn't align, but I kept going, and I kept pushing, and it got worse, and it got worse, and it got worse. Eventually, I thought it was going to kill me. It buried me, but God brought me back because in my weakness, he is made strong, and I rely on the Holy Spirit and not my will, and through the power of the Holy Spirit and the same power that raised Christ from the dead is now living in me, I can go through my grave, and I can conquer and come out and do more than what I did before I went into the grave. That was your moment to clap. Seriously, I'm going to close with this. When Jesus was nailed to the cross, the cross was essentially the electric chair of its day. So I know we, like, we all like, hey, we have cross rings and we have crosses around our neck. And, and the cross really has become more of a jewelry thing. But if Jesus were alive today... And he lived his life today, and we were to go forward 2,000 years from now, they would be wearing electric chairs around their neck. Think about that for a minute. How many of you put an electric chair around your neck? Anybody? Put an electric chair on your ring? Yeah, look. Right? You wouldn't do that. What happened? Why is the cross a symbol of death? A symbol of life. In 230, around 230 AD, there was this lady named Helena. And she married a Roman soldier. This Roman soldier rose through the ranks until he became emperor of Rome. Well, the emperor decided he'd had enough of Helena as his wife. Without getting into a lot of details, he banished her Um, I'm sorry, before he banished her, they had a child, Constantine. But he he banished Helena to the outskirts of the Roman Empire. Now, we don't know much about Helena during her time as an exile of the Roman Empire. But her son, Constantine, joined the Roman military and worked his way up through the ranks. Now, the Roman Empire Emperor who pushed Helena away, found another woman that was more suiting to him, supposedly, and so he married her. But make a long story short, Constantine rose through the ranks and eventually became Caesar, deputy emperor. So when his father died, he took the reins as emperor. Constantine converts to Christianity. He calls his mom back from the outskirts of the Roman Empire and says, come on back, you're my mom, I love you. He's very close to his mom. 
He gives her a place in the palace. He says, you should have never been kicked out of the empire, etc. And through his love of his mom, he converts his mom from Roman slash Greek mythology to Christianity. Well, she has a thing for history. And so because, because her son was in charge of the Middle Eastern part of Rome, she goes on an excursion to Jerusalem. She begins to dig. She begins to study. Now, again, we're only talking a couple hundred years after the death of Christ. And as she begins to study and dig and she begins to do archaeology work, and she, as an archaeologist, she begins to study and she begins to dig, and she finds that the temple of Venus was built on the hill of Golgotha. The temple of Venus has a basement, catacombs, if you will. She goes down in the basement. She begins to dig around. She finds three crosses at the bottom. After doing a lot more work, she finds the cross of Christ. She finds the cross of Christ. And she's like, what do I do with this? She knows it's the cross of Jesus. What do I do with this? The cross is old. It's nearly 200 years old. The wood is getting splintered. It's decaying. It's, it's falling apart. She sends, she breaks off pieces of the cross. And she says, Christianity has been pushed down and tortured. Christians have been beaten. I'm going to use this to inspire Christians. Because she herself was new to the faith. So she takes pieces of the cross, true story, and she mail, mails them because the Roman Empire actually had a post office and they had, a ma- they had male men and women and they delivered mail. And so she sent it through the postal system of the Roman Empire. And now pieces of the cross are with the Greek Orthodox Church in Greece. There's a piece of the cross with the Asian Orthodox Church. There's a piece of the cross with the Roman Catholic Church. And as far as we know, there's only three pieces that still exist. But by her mailing those multiple pieces out, people's faith got energized. Christianity began to spread. People began to believe in Jesus. The cross then became a symbol of life. The cross became a symbol of hope. And did you, do you think that maybe for an instant that when she was banished and not living a life for Jesus, do you think that maybe she thought it was worthless, there was no hope? Do you think that maybe, just maybe, knowing the whole empire is against her, she thought about suicide? But she had a purpose. She had a destiny. That God was going to use her to change the way we view the cross of Christ. Because the early church would have never, the apostles in the book of Acts and so on in those first couple hundred years, they would have never looked at the cross the way we look at it. Never. So I want to encourage you today that maybe, maybe you don't know 
your purpose. Maybe you're too busy running from things because you don't have time to look ahead. I'm saying this Easter season, it's time to look ahead. It's time to look forward. Your feelings and your purpose aren't always going to align. You have to keep your eyes fixed on your purpose and on your destiny. Because in him and through him, all things were made and are made. And in him and through him, all things hold together. Make him your purpose, and he will hold you together. He will give you your purpose and your destiny. Let's stand up this morning. I want to encourage you today to push, to keep going on. If you don't understand why they broke up with you, you don't understand why your spouse cheated on you, you may not understand a lot of stuff, but you have to keep going on. You have to keep pushing. You have to keep pushing. And keep going. As we close, close out, maybe you're here today and maybe you've never given your life to Christ. Maybe Jesus isn't your reason for living. Maybe you need a purpose that stands the test of time. Maybe you need a purpose that defies death. I want to invite you to come forward and accept Christ. If I can get, if I can get Lynn and Lori to come down on this side, if I can get Justin and Brian to come down on this side, and they're gonna, they just want to pray with you to accept Christ. If you have need or prayer for anything else, I just want to encourage you to come up. They're going to pray with you. They're going to believe with you. So we close out in song. Let's just worship God together.